Our goal that sent me to sleep is to help the world get a good night's rest. Everyone deserves that. So if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you so much for your support. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 8 and 9 of Heidi by Joanna Speary. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 8 There is great commotion in the large house. Sebastian had just shown the tutor into the study on the following morning when there came another and very loud ring at the bell which Sebastian ran quickly to answer. Only her seasman rings like that, he said to himself. He must have returned home unexpectedly. He pulled open the door, and there in front of him he saw a ragged little boy carrying a hand organ on his back. What's the meaning of this? said Sebastian angrily. I'll teach you to ring bells like that. What do you want here? I want to see Clara, the boy answered. You dirty, good-for-nothing little rascal. Can't you be polite enough to say, Miss Clara? What do you want with her? Continued Sebastian roughly. She owes me fourpence explained the boy. You must be out of your mind, and how do you know that any young lady of that name lives here? She owes me twopence for showing her the way there, and twopence for showing her the way back. See what a pack of lies you are telling. The young lady never goes out, cannot even walk. Be off and get back to where you came from, before I have to help you along. But the boy was not to be frightened away. He remained standing, and said in a determined voice, But I saw her in the street, and can describe her to you. She has short, curly black hair, and black eyes, and wears a brown dress, and does not talk quite like we do. Oh-ho, thought Sebastian, laughing to himself. The little miss has evidently been up to more mischief. Then, drawing the boy inside, he said aloud, I understand now. Come with me and wait outside the door till I tell you to go in. Be sure you begin playing your organ the instant you get inside the room. The lady is very fond of music. Sebastian knocked at the study door, and a voice said, Come in. 
There is a boy outside who said he must speak to Miss Clara herself, Sebastian announced. Clara was delighted at such an extraordinary and unexpected message. Let him come in at once, replied Clara. He must come in, must he not? She added, turning to her tutor. If he wishes so particularly to see me. The boy was already inside the room, and according to Sebastian's directions, immediately began to play his organ. Fraulein Rottenmere, wishing to escape the ABC, had retired with her work to the dining room. All at once she stopped and listened. Did those sounds come up from the street? And yet they seemed so near. But how could there be an organ playing in the study? And yet... It surely was so. She rushed to the other end of the long dining room and tore open the door. She could hardly believe her eyes. There, in the middle of the study, stood a ragged boy turning away at his organ in the most energetic manner. The tutor appeared to be making efforts to speak but his voice could not be heard. Both children were listening delightedly to the music. Leave off, leave off at once, screamed Fraulein Rottenmere, but her voice was drowned by the music. She was making a dash for the boy when she saw something on the ground crawling towards her feet. A dreadful dark object. A tortoise. At this sight, she jumped higher than she had for many long years before, shrieking with all her might, Sebastian! Sebastian! The organ player suddenly stopped, for this time her voice had risen louder than the music. Sebastian was standing outside, bent double with laughter, for he had been peeping to see what was going on. By the time he entered the room, Fraulein Rottenmere had sunk into a chair. Take them all out, boy and animal. Get them away at once, she commanded. Sebastian pulled the boy away the latter having quickly caught up the tortoise, and when he had got him outside, he put something into his hand. There is the fourpence from Miss Clara, and another fourpence for the music. You did it all quite right, and with that, he shut the front door upon him. Quietness reigned again in the study, and lessons began once more. Fraulein Rottenmere now took up her station in the study, in order by her presence to prevent any further dreadful goings-on. But soon another knock came to the door, and Sebastian again stepped in, this time to say that someone had brought a large basket with orders that it was to be given to Miss Clara at once. For me, said Clara in astonishment, her curiosity very much excited. Bring it in at once, that I may see what it is like. Sebastian carried in a large covered basket and retired. I think the lessons had better be finished first before the basket is unpacked, said Fraulein Rottenmere. Clara could not conceive what was in it, and cast longing glances towards it. In the middle of one of her declensions, she suddenly broke off and said to the tutor, Mayn't I just give one peep inside? to see what it is before I go on.
On some considerations, I am for it. On others, against it, he began in answering. For it, on the grounds that if your whole attention is directed to the basket. But the speech remained unfinished. The cover of the basket was loose, and at this moment, one, two, three, and then two more, and again more kittens came suddenly tumbling onto the floor and racing about the room in every direction, and with such indescribable rapidity that it seemed as if the whole room was full of them. They jumped over the tutor's boots, bit at his trousers, climbed up Frowlin Rottenmere's dress, rolled about her feet, sprang up onto Clara's couch, scratching, scrambling, and mewing. It was a sad scene of confusion. Clara, meanwhile, pleased with their gambols, kept on exclaiming, Oh, the dear little things, how pretty they are. Look, Heidi, at this one. Look, look, at that one over there. And Heidi, in her delight, kept running after them, first into one corner and then into the other. The tutor stood up by the table, not knowing what to do, lifting first his right foot and then his left to get it away from the scrambling, scratching kittens. Fraulein Rottenmere was unable at first to speak at all, so overcome was she with horror, and she did not dare rise from her chair, for fear that all the dreadful little animals should jump up at her at once. At last, she found voice to call loudly, Tinette, Tinette, Sebastian, Sebastian. They came in answer to her summons, and gathered up the kittens. By degrees, they got them all inside the basket again, and then carried them off to put with the other two. Today again, there had been no opportunity for gaping. Late that evening, when Fräulein Rottenmere had somewhat recovered from the excitement of the morning, she sent for the two servants and examined them closely concerning the events of the morning. And then it came out that Heidi was at the bottom of them, everything being the result of her excursion of the day before. Fräulein Rottenmere sat pale with indignation and did not know at first how to express her anger. Then she made a sign to Tinette and Sebastian to withdraw, and turning to Heidi, who was standing by Clara's couch, quite unable to understand of what sin she had been guilty, began in a severe voice, Adelaide, I know of only one punishment which will perhaps make you alive to your ill conduct, for you are an utter little barbarian, but we will see if we cannot tame you so that you shall not be guilty of such deeds again, by putting you in a dark cellar with the rats and the black beetles. Heidi listened in silence and surprise to her sentence, for she had never seen a cellar such as now was described. The place known at her grandfather's as the cellar, where the fresh made cheeses and new milk were kept, was a pleasant and inviting place. Neither did she know at all what rats and black beetles were like, Now Clara interrupted in great distress. No, no, Fräulein Rottenmere, you must wait till Papa comes. He has written to say that he will soon be home, 
and then I will tell him everything, and he will say what is to be done with Heidi. Fraulein Rottenmere could not do anything against this superior authority, especially as the father was really expected very shortly. She rose and said with some displeasure, As you will, Clara, but I too shall have something to say to her seasman, and with that she left the room. Two days now went by without further disturbance. Fraulein Rottenmere, however, could not recover her equanimity. She was perpetually reminded by Heidi's presence of the deception that had been played upon her, and it seemed to her that ever since the child had come into the house, everything had been topsy-turvy and she could not bring things into proper order again. Clara had grown much more cheerful. She no longer found time hang heavy during the lesson hours, for Heidi was continually making a diversion of some kind or other. She jumbled up all her letters and seemed quite unable to learn them and when the tutor tried to draw her attention to different shapes, and to help her by showing her that this was like a little horn, or that was like a bird's bill, she would suddenly exclaim in a joyful voice, That is a goat, that is a bird of prey, for the tutor's descriptions suggested all kinds of pictures in her mind, it left her still incapable of the alphabet. In the later afternoons, Heidi always sat with Clara, and then she would give the latter many and long descriptions of the mountain and of her life upon it, and the burning longing to return would come so overpowering that she always finished with the words, Now I must go home. Tomorrow, I must really go. But Clara would try to quiet her and tell Heidi that she must wait till her father returned, and then they would see what was to be done. And if Heidi gave in each time and seemed quickly to regain her good spirits, it was because of a secret delight She had in thought that every day added two more white rolls to the number she was collecting for grandmother, for she always pocketed the roll placed beside her plate at dinner and supper, feeling that she could not bear to eat them, knowing that grandmother had no white bread and could hardly eat the black bread which was so hard. After dinner, Heidi had to sit alone in her room for a couple of hours, for she understood now that she might not run about outside at Frankfurt as she did on the mountain, and so she did not attempt it. Any conversation with Sebastian in the dining room was also forbidden to her, and as to Tanette, She kept out of her way, and never thought of speaking to her, for Heidi was quite aware that the maid looked scornfully at her, and always spoke to her in a mocking voice. So Heidi had plenty of time from day to day to sit and picture how everything at home was now turning green and how the yellow flowers were shining in the sun, and how all around lay bright in the warm sunshine, the snow and the rocks, and the whole wide valley, and Heidi at times could hardly contain herself for the longing to be back home again. And Dete had told her that she could go home whenever she liked, So it came about one day 
that Heidi felt she could not bear it any longer, and in haste she tied all the rolls up in her red shawl, put on her straw hat, and went downstairs. But just as she reached the hall door, she met Fraulein Rottenmere herself, just returning from a walk, which put a stop to Heidi's journey. Fraulein Rottenmere stood still a moment, looking at her from top to toe in blank astonishment, her eye resting particularly on the red bundle. Then she broke out. What have you dressed yourself like that for? What do you mean by this? Have I not strictly forbidden you to go running about in the streets? And here you are ready to start off again, and going out looking like a beggar. I was not going to run about, I was going home, said Heidi, frightened. What are you talking about? Going home? You want to go home? exclaimed Fraulein Rottenmere, her anger rising. To run away like that? What would her seasman say if he knew? Take care that he never hears of this, and what is the matter with his house, I should like to know. Have you not been better treated than you deserved? Have you wanted for a thing? Have you ever in your life before had such a house to live in, such a table, or so many to wait upon you? Have you? No, replied Heidi. I should think not indeed, continued the exasperated lady. You have everything you can possibly want here, and you are an ungrateful little thing. It's because you are too well off and comfortable that you have nothing to do but think what naughty thing you can do next. Then Heidi's feelings got the better of her, and she poured forth her trouble. Indeed, I only want to go home, for if I stay so long away, Snowflake will begin crying again, and Grandmother is waiting for me, and Greenfinch will get beaten, because I'm not there to give Peter any cheese, and I can never see how the sun says, Good night to the mountains, and if the great bird were to fly over Frankfurt, he would croak louder than ever about people huddling all together and teaching each other bad things, and not going to live up on the rocks where it is so much better. Heaven have mercy on us, the child is out of her mind cried Fraulein Rottenmere, and she turned in terror and went quickly up the steps, running violently against Sebastian in her hurry. Go and bring that unhappy little creature at once, she ordered him, putting her hand to her forehead which she had bumped against his. Sebastian did as he was told, rubbing his own head as he went, for he had received a still harder blow. Heidi had not moved. She stood with her eyes aflame and trembling all over with inward agitation. What got into trouble again? said Sebastian in a cheerful voice. But when he looked more closely at Heidi and saw that she did not move, he put his hand kindly on her shoulder and said, trying to comfort her, There, there, don't take it to heart so much. Keep up your spirits. That is the great thing. She has nearly made a hole in my head, but don't you let her bully you. Then, seeing that Heidi still did not stir, We must go. She ordered me to take you in. 
Heidi now began mounting the stairs, but with a slow, crawling step, very unlike her usual manner. Sebastian felt quite sad as he watched her, and as he followed her up he kept trying to encourage her. Don't you give in. Don't let her make you unhappy. You keep up your courage. Why, we've got such a sensible little miss that she has never cried once since she was here. Many at that age cry a good dozen times a day. The kittens are enjoying themselves very much up in their room. They jump about all over the place and behave as if they were little mad things. Later, we will go up and see them when Fraulein is out of the way, shall we? Heidi gave a little nod of assent, but in such a joyless manner that it went to Sebastian's heart and he followed her with sympathetic eyes as she crept away to her room. At supper that evening, Fraulein Rottenmere did not speak, but she cast watchful looks towards Heidi, as if expecting her at any minute to break out in some extraordinary way. But Heidi sat without moving or eating. All that she did was to hastily hide her roll in her pocket. When the tutor arrived next morning... Fraulein Rottenmere drew him privately aside and confided her fear to him that the change of air and the new mode of life and unaccustomed surroundings had turned Heidi's head. Then she told him of the incident of the day before and of Heidi's strange speech, but the tutor assured her that she need not be alarmed. He had already become aware that the child was somewhat eccentric, but otherwise quite right in her mind, and he was sure that, with careful treatment and education, the right balance would be restored, and it was this that he was striving after. He was the more convinced of this by what he had now heard, and by the fact that he had so far failed to teach her the alphabet, Heidi seemed unable to understand the letters. Fraulein Rottenmere was considerably relieved by his words and released the tutor to his work. In the course of the afternoon, the remembrance of Heidi's appearance the day before, as she was starting out on her travels, suddenly returned to the lady, and she made up her mind that she would supplement the child's clothing with various garments from Clara's wardrobe, so as to give her a decent appearance when her seasman returned. She confided her intention to Clara, who was quite willing to make over any number of dresses and hats to Heidi. So the lady went upstairs to overhaul the child's belongings and see what was to be kept and what thrown away. She returned, however, in the course of a few minutes with an expression of horror upon her face. What is this, Adelaide, that I find in your wardrobe? she exclaimed. I never heard of anyone doing such a thing before. In a cupboard meant for clothes, Adelaide, what do I see at the bottom but a heap of rolls? Will you believe it, Clara? Bread in a wardrobe. A whole pile of bread. Tinette, she called to that young woman who was in the dining room. Go upstairs and take away all those rolls out of Adelaide's cupboard and the old straw hat on the table. No, no, screamed Heidi. I must keep the hat and the rolls are for grandmother. And she was rushing to stop Tinette 
when Frowlin Rottenmere took hold of her. You will stop here, and all that bread and rubbish shall be taken to the place they belong to, she said in a determined tone as she kept her hand on the child to prevent her running forward. Then Heidi, in despair, flung herself down on Clara's couch and broke into a wild fit of weeping, her crying become louder and more full of distress every minute, while she kept on sobbing at intervals. Now grandmother's bread is all gone, they were all for grandmother, and now they are taken away, and grandmother won't have one, and she wept as if her heart would break. Fraulein Rottenmere ran out of the room. Clara was distressed and alarmed at the child's crying. Heidi, Heidi, she said imploringly, pray do not cry so. Listen to me, don't be so unhappy. Look now, I promise you that you shall have just as many rolls, or more, all fresh and new to take to grandmother when you go home. Yours would have been hard and stale by then. Come, Heidi, do not cry any more. Heidi could not get over her sobs for a long time. She would never have been able to leave off crying at all if it had not been for Clara's promise, which comforted her. But to make sure that she could depend on it, she kept on saying to Clara, her voice broken with her gradually subsiding sobs, Will you give me as many, quite as many, as I had for grandmother? And Clara assured her, each time that she would give her as many, or more, she added, only be happy again. Heidi appeared at supper with her eyes red with weeping, and when she saw her roll, she could not suppress a sob, but she made an effort to control herself, for she knew she must sit quietly at the table Whenever Sebastian could catch her eye this evening, he made all sorts of strange signs, pointing to his own head and then to hers, and giving little nods as much as to say, Don't you be unhappy, I've got it all safe for you. When Heidi was going to get into bed that night, she found her old straw hat lying under the counterpane. She snatched it up with delight, made it more out of shape still in her joy, and then, after wrapping a handkerchief round it, she stuck it in a corner of the cupboard as far back as she could. It was Sebastian who had hidden it there for her. He had been in the dining room when Tanette was called and had heard all that went on with the child and the latter's loud weeping. So he followed Tanette, and when she came out of Heidi's room carrying the rolls and the hat, he caught up the hat and said, I will see to this old thing. He was genuinely glad to have been able to save it for Heidi, and that was the meaning of his encouraging signs to her at supper. Chapter 9 Her Seasman Hears of Things Which Are New to Him A few days after these events, there was great commotion and much running up and downstairs in her Seasman's house. The master had just returned, and Sebastian and Tanette were busy carrying up one package after another from the carriage, for her seasman always brought back a lot of pretty things for his home. He himself had not waited to do anything before going to see his daughter, 
Heidi was sitting beside her, for it was late afternoon when the two were always together. Father and daughter greeted each other with warm affection, for they were deeply attached to one another. Then he held out his hand to Heidi, who had stolen away into the corner and said kindly to her, And this is our little Swiss girl. Come and shake hands with me. That's right. Now, tell me, are Clara and you good friends with one another, or do you get angry and quarrel, and then cry and make it up, and then start quarrelling again on the next occasion? No, Clara is always kind to me answered Heidi. And Heidi, put in Clara quickly, has not once tried to quarrel. That's all right, I am glad to hear it, said her father as he rose from his chair. But you must excuse me, Clara, for I want my dinner. I have had nothing to eat all day. Afterwards, I will show you all the things I have brought home with me. He found Fraulein Rottenmere in the dining room, superintending the preparations for his meal, and when he had taken his place, she sat down opposite to him, looking the every embodiment of bad news, so that he turned to her and said, What am I to expect, Fraulein Mottenmere? You greet me with an expression of countenance that quite frightens me. What is the matter? Clara seems cheerful enough. Her seasman, began the lady in a solemn voice. It is a matter which concerns Clara. We have been frightfully imposed upon. Indeed, in what way? asked her seasman as he went on calmly drinking his wine. We had decided, as you remember, to get a companion for Clara, and as I knew how anxious you were to have only those who were well behaved and nicely brought up to her, I thought I would look for a little Swiss girl, as I hoped to find such a one as I have often read about, who, born as it were of the mountain air, lives and moves without touching the earth. Still, I think even a Swiss girl would have to touch the earth if she wanted to go anywhere, remarked her seasman. Otherwise they would have been given wings instead of feet. Ah, her seasman. You know what I mean, continued Fraulein Rottenmere. I mean one so at home among the living creatures of the high, pure mountain regions, that she would be like some idealistic being from another world among us. And what could Clara do with such an idealistic being as you describe, Fraulein Rottenmere? I'm not joking, her seasman. The matter is a more serious one than you think. I have been shockingly, disgracefully imposed upon. But how? What is there shocking and disgraceful? I see nothing shocking in the child, remarked her seasman quietly. If you only knew of the things she has done... If you only knew of the kind of people and animals she has brought into the house during your absence, the tutor can tell you more about that. Animals? What am I to understand by animals, Fraulein Rottenmere? It is past understanding. The whole behavior of the child would be past understanding. If it were not that at times she is evidently not in her right mind. 
her seizeman had attached very little importance to what was told to him up till now, but not in her right mind. That was more serious and might be prejudicial to his own child. Her seizeman looked very narrowly at the lady opposite to assure himself that the mental aberration was not on her side. At that moment, the door opened and the tutor was announced. Ah, here is someone, exclaimed her seizeman, who will help to clear up matters for me. Take a seat, he continued as he held out his hand to the tutor. You will drink a cup of coffee with me. No ceremony, I pray. And now tell me, what is the matter with this child that has come to be a companion to my daughter? What is this strange thing I hear about her bringing animals into the house? And is she right in her senses? The tutor felt he must begin with expressing his pleasure at her seizeman's return, and with explaining that he had come in on purpose to give him welcome, but her seizeman begged him to explain without delay the meaning of all he had heard about Heidi. The tutor started in his usual style. If I must give my opinion about this little girl... I should like first to state that, if on one side there is a lack of development which has been caused by the more or less careless way in which she has been brought up, or rather by the neglect of her education when young and by the solitary life she has led on the mountain, which is not wholly to be condemned, on the contrary, Such a life has undoubtedly some advantages in it, if not allowed to overstep a certain limit of time. My good friend, interrupted her seizeman, you are giving yourself more trouble than you need. I only want to know if the child has caused you alarm by any animals she has brought into the house, and what your opinion is altogether as to her being a fit companion or not for my daughter. I should not like in any way to prejudice you against her, began the tutor once more, for if on the one hand there is a certain inexperience of the ways of society, owing to the uncivilized life she has led up to the time of her removal to Frankfurt, on the other hand, She is endowed with certain good qualities, and taken on the whole. Excuse me, my dear sir, do not disturb yourself, but I must. I think my daughter will be wanting me. And with that, her seizeman quickly left the room and took care not to return. He sat himself down beside his daughter in the study and then turning to Heidi, who had risen. Little one, will you fetch me? He began, and then paused, for he could not think what to ask for, but he wanted to get the child out of the room for a little while. Fetch me a glass of water. Fresh water? asked Heidi. Yes, yes, as fresh as you can get it, he answered. Heidi disappeared on the spot. And now, my dear little Clara, he said, drawing his chair nearer and laying her hand in his, answer my questions clearly and intelligibly. What kinds of animals had your little companion brought into the house? And why does Fraulein Rottenmere think that she is not always in her right mind? Clara had no difficulty in answering. The alarmed lady had spoken to her also about Heidi's wild manner of talking, but Clara had not been able to put a meaning to it. 
she told her father everything about the tortoise and the kittens, and explained to him what Heidi had said the day Frowlin Rottenmere had been put in such a fright. Her seasman laughed heartily at her recital. So you do not want me to send the child home again, he asked. You are not tired of having her here. Oh no, no, Clara exclaimed. Please do not send her away. Time has passed much more quickly since Heidi was here, for something fresh happens every day, and it used to be so dull, and she has always so much to tell me. That's all right then, and here comes your little friend. Have you brought me some nice fresh water? He asked as Heidi handed him a glass. Yes, fresh from the pump, answered Heidi. You did not go yourself to the pump, said Clara. Yes, I did. It is quite fresh. I had to go a long way, for there were such a lot of people at the first pump, so I went further down the street but there were just as many at the second pump, but I was able to get water at the one in the next street, and the gentleman with the white hair asked me to give his kind regards to her seasman. You have had quite a successful expedition, said her seasman, laughing. And who was the gentleman? He was passing, and when he saw me, He stood still and said, As you have a glass, will you give me a drink? To whom are you taking the water? And when I said, To her seasman, he laughed very much, and then he gave me that message for you, and also said he hoped you would enjoy the water. Oh, and who was it, I wonder, who sent me such good wishes? Tell me what he was like, said her seasman. He was kind and laughed, and he had a thick gold chain and a gold thing hanging from it with a large red stone, and a horse's head at the top of his stick. It's the doctor, my old friend the doctor, exclaimed Clara and her father at the same moment and her seasman smiled to himself at the thought of what his friend's opinion must have been of this new way of satisfying his thirst for water. That evening, when her seasman and Frowlin Rottenmere were alone, settling the household affairs, he informed her that he intended to keep Heidi He found the child in a perfectly right state of mind, and his daughter liked her as a companion. I desire, therefore, he continued, laying stress upon his words, that the child shall be in every way kindly treated, and that her peculiarities shall not be looked upon as crimes. If you find her too much for you alone... I can hold out a prospect of help, for I am shortly expecting my mother here on a long visit, and she, as you know, can get on with anybody, whatever they may be like. Oh yes, I know, replied Fraulein Rottenmere, but there was no tone of relief in her voice as she thought of the coming help. Her seasman was only home for a short time. He left for Paris again before the fortnight was over, comforting Clara, who could not bear that he should go from her again so soon, with the prospect of her grandmother's arrival, which was to take place in a few days' time. Her seasman had indeed only just gone, when a letter came from Frau Seesman, announcing her arrival on the following day, and stating the hour when she might be expected, 
in order that a carriage should be sent to meet her at the station. Clara was overjoyed and talked so much about her grandmother that evening that Heidi began also to call her Grandmama, which brought down on her a look of displeasure from Fraulein Rottenmere. This, however, had no particular effect on Heidi, for she was accustomed now to being continually in the ladies' black books. But as she was going to her room that night, Fraulein Rottenmere waylaid her, and drawing her into her own, gave her strict injunctions as to how she was to address Frau Seesman when she arrived. On no account was she to call her Grandmama, but always say Madame to her. Do you understand, said the lady, as she saw a perplexed expression on Heidi's face. The latter had not understood but seeing the severe expression of the lady's face, she did not ask for more explanation. 